Welcome to the Best Player Wins Podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Endries. And I am Eddie Quinones. And welcome back to episode two. This will be our draft breakdown. Uh, We'll give a a little bit of an outlook also towards this week's upcoming matchups. So uh, take it away, Nate. Yeah, uh, thank you, Eddie. So this week, we're going to mostly be talking all about the draft and we're actually recording this on Labor Day itself, Monday, September 6th. So just one day removed from our draft. Obviously, Eddie and I were eager to uh, put the headset on and, and break down our draft. So let's jump into it. First, we're just going to kind of talk about the general strategies utilized. And this is kind of a play off of our segment last week where we talked about our favorite strategies, our least favorite strategies. And I basically just divided in general what the you know the 12 managers managers in our league did uh in the first i'll say four to five rounds so i basically laid it out as people either took a position stacking strategy or they kind of took a balanced approach which i would guess is more of what i was talking about with my favorite strategy of just taking the best value available according to you know kind of how you see the players on the board so i will jump in with uh where i thought people kind of fell under each of these two buckets for me the position stackers were JC, Lucas, and Kevin. JC went tight end, running back, tight end, running back with his first four picks. Lucas, his was a little bit different. He's kind of the outlier of this group, but I'll explain why he fits in this bucket in a second. He went wide receiver, running back, quarterback, and then wide receiver, wide receiver. That was his first five picks. And then Kevin went running back, wide receiver, wide receiver, running back with his first four picks. So for me... The managers that stuck out as the position stackers for our draft were guys that only drafted two positions with their first four picks or who drafted three of the same position with their first five picks. And the only three managers that fit under that bucket were JC, Lucas, and Kevin. Uh, Eddie, who were your position stackers? So I did have Kevin down as one. Uh, You know, he got two of the top wide receivers within the first 29 overall picks. kind of like you just mentioned. Then actually had Michael. He had a back-to-back on running backs. He had the number one overall pick, CMC, obviously. And then his second pick, he took Antonio Gibson. Uh, so within the first 24 picks, he had taken two running backs right there. And again, in terms of true position stacking, there really wasn't anything that really stood out to me too much. I think everyone mixed it up pretty well. But again, there, there were a few that had two of a specific position within the first four to five rounds. Um, yeah yeah and i'm glad that you mentioned mike there because i'm glad that we kind of took a little bit of a different spin on who we classified as the position stackers definitely worth pointing out uh mike stacking cmc and antonio gibson with his first two picks which not to spoil anything but i thought that was uh kind of like a dream start if you're at number one and you're obviously taking cmc i thought he made the right choice at number one antonio gibson is like for me, if you're drafting out of the one spot, which means you're getting the 12th pick in the second round, that's kind of like a dream pairing mate with CMC is getting Antonio Gibson and his upside, the pair in that backfield. But the balanced approach, which I guess by default, you're going to hear us say it was everyone else, right? From my, I guess this is just kind of the flip side of my definitions of the position stackers. So for me, everyone else fit into the bucket of the balanced approach because they either drafted three different positions with their first four picks and they drafted no more than two of any position with their first five picks. So I was kind of looking at it 
um, by a filter of first four picks or first five picks, I guess, depending on how you want to classify it. Eddie, did you have anything to add here with the balanced approach? Nothing really too specific. Again, uh, kind of one of the guys that I looked into was Nick. He had a quarterback, running back, tight end. Then he had a running back again and then a wide receiver. You know, he, he filled every skilled position within the first five picks. Um, and again, like you said, most of everyone else did practically the same thing. So. Yeah, so not much to note here with our, you know, talking about the strategies utilized, but I thought that was a kind of a good, easy transition into really breaking down the draft. So let's start now with Eddie. What was your most surprising takeaway from the draft? I think obviously we, we had spoke about the whole quarterback and running back situation last week, and we both expected both of those positions to be pretty heavily taken. Uh, one thing that was a little surprising to me is 10 wide receivers were gone in the first three rounds. Eight of those wide receivers were gone in the third round. Um, so third round went very heavy wide receiver. Um, and it kind of started right off the bat. Um, Michael had taken DK Metcalf. And then I, I came right behind him with Justin Jefferson. And, and we went on a little bit of run there. So wide receivers went quick in the third round. I expected that to kind of expand a little bit further. But yeah, that's that's a good point. My most surprising takeaway was that it was easier to get a top quarterback than I expected it to be. Um, so this is going to be, this is going to sound a little bit uh, methodical because the picks that I expected these guys to go at were only a little bit earlier than where they actually went. But I had originally anticipated uh, there to only be like one super elite quarterback left on the board by my pick. But instead, it took until pick eight for the very first quarterback of the draft to be taken when Patrick Mahomes fell to Jake in a complete surprise to those of us at the back of the round. And while that pick started a run of quarterbacks in which five flew off the board in the next six picks, I was actually expecting five to be gone by around pick nine. So instead of Jake taking the first quarterback, I would have expected that at least four, but more likely five quarterbacks would already be off the board by the time his pick was finished. Um, and again, it seems like minutia because we're only talking about a few pick difference here, but I think a lot of us at the end of the round were not expecting the entire crop of elite quarterbacks to be available to us, which then made us adjust on the fly when we happily drafted them with our first round picks there at the end of the round. So that was my most surprising takeaway, kind of led to a spin um, for my own draft strategy. But let's talk about specific players now. Eddie, I want to know, who did you think was the biggest value overall in the draft? I think you already mentioned him, and, and he should have been gone at, at number two overall, um, if not immediately after that. But Mahomes at eight, I think that's a steal at the value of what he brings to, to a team to get Patrick Mahomes at the number eight overall pick, especially in a league formatted such as ours. I think that's, that's a really good value for where you're going to draft him at right there. Um, who did you have? Yeah, that's that's a good pick. And uh, I actually, that one didn't stick off the board to me when I was going back through the entire draft to pick biggest value here. But I certainly agree with the pick now that I kind of go back and rethink about it. Patrick Mahomes is should be up there for my final consideration of biggest value. Fortunately, I went in a different direction so that we have something different to talk about here. And in my, my biggest value was T. Higgins, who was picked in the seventh round with the third pick by Sean. So for me, when I was originally going through our draft recap, there was no obvious choice in my opinion, since no player in particular fell for a really long time while we were actually doing the draft. 
but I really like Sean's pick of what should presumably be the wide receiver one in Cincinnati. I think that his cost, T. Higgins, was driven down by the fact that there are a ton of weapons in Cincy who can all catch passes, such as Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, and Joe Mixon. But I have roughly the same confidence in T. Higgins to be wide receiver one in Cincinnati as I do in, say, CeeDee Lamb to be wide receiver one in Dallas, despite all the other weapons there like Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, Ezekiel Elliott, and even their tight end, Blake Jarwin. The difference between those two situations is that the top duo of Dallas wide receivers were drafted about three rounds earlier. And I should caveat this by saying that uh, they did deserve to go earlier because the offensive line as well as the quarterback are better in Dallas. But Cincinnati should still be a pass-heavy offense with all those weapons and Joe Burrow under center. Um, So if T. Higgins leads the team in targets like I am expecting him to, I'm betting that this seventh-round pick is probably going to more likely be worth like a fourth to fifth round pick in terms of production for Sean. So that's why I went with T Higgins for my biggest value. Yeah, I like that. It's a good one. Cool. So let's talk about best overall draft. So Eddie, excluding your own team, which roster would you prefer to have coming out of our draft? I think the football heads, Sean, I actually, while looking over his roster, probably one of the more balanced rosters in terms of terms of consistency across most of his positions. Uh, and just to read you off some of those players, he has Rodgers at quarterback, Derek Henry as his RB1, DeAndre Hopkins as his wide receiver one, and Mark Andrews as his tight end one. Um, I think that alone right there, just looking at that roster and looking at his number ones at, at some of those skilled positions, it, it's a really good team. And, and if I went back, I, that's, definitely the team that I would like to have. It's funny that you mentioned that, Eddie, because I have the exact same pick. I have Sean's team, the football heads. This is a little hard for me to choose um, from a few specific teams, but ultimately I went with the one that seemingly doesn't have any holes in the lineup and has depth where I consider it to be most important, which is the running back position. Sean presumably has one of the most advantageous quarterback duos with Aaron Rodgers and Ryan Tannehill. He has a pretty formidable running back duo in Derrick Henry, who I do expect some regression from this season, but he should still finish as a running back one on volume alone. And Daryl Henderson is his pairing mate, who I think was being a little bit undervalued in the aftermath of the Sony Michelle, uh, I say signing, but he was traded there from the Patriots. I consider his wide receiver room to be perfectly complementary to the talent that he has at each of the other positions with DeAndre Hopkins, T. Higgins, who I just talked about, who I really like, Brandon Cooks, and Curtis Samuel, who should each easily produce at wide receiver one, wide receiver two, wide receiver three, and wide receiver four paces, respectively. At tight end, you've already talked about him. He has the best tight end that you can hope to get if you miss out on the big three with Mark Andrews who should be Lamar Jackson's favorite target once again this season, barring a breakout from Hollywood Brown or Rashad Bateman. Um, And then on his bench, I mentioned that Daryl Henderson was being a little bit undervalued in my opinion, but it doesn't even really matter because Sean actually has his real-life pairing mate in Sony Michelle, as well as Ronald Jones, both of whom I consider to be great depth pieces at the position, short of sacrificing one of your early round picks. And therefore, like if you if you grabbed a really good running back as your first depth option, you're probably sacrificing positions in your starting lineup. So Sean got about as good running back depth, I think, as you can without sacrificing the starting lineup. 
Um, and again, that's the most important position to have depth at, in my opinion. So I love Sean's roster. That was my pick. The, the honorable mentions for me that I was considering along with his were Scott's team, the Thundercats, and actually Lucas's team, Hugh Neutron. I think that Lucas's roster is super solid in that if and when Justin Fields takes over, his team is going to be very, very good. Um, Lucas was actually almost my pick here, but the only thing that helped, you know, held me back is as much as we all expect great things from Justin Fields, even as a rookie, you just don't know what's going to happen there. So that's, I did want to mention him as an honorable mention along with Scott. Yeah. And, and I do want to mention this individual. I like they're in a similar boat with Sean with their wide receiver one running back one and quarterback one being at a really good position and it's actually Kyron there's just one spot that really destroys the rest of his team to me um and it's it's Zacherts and that's that's another conversation that we're going to come back to here soon but other than that I think he has a really solid team his wide receivers he's got Ridley Thielen uh, he's got Chris Carson and Kamara on the backfield he's got Russell Wilson as his QB1 and then Ben's a little bit of a question mark just because we don't really know what that offense is going to do this year and how he's going to perform. But other than that, I think Kyron does have a pretty solid team with some some pretty decent depth. Um, but again, Zach Ertz just really threw that out the window for me. But I will say in Kyron's defense, with respect to Ben Roethlisberger, it's very interesting how Najee Harris, Chase Claypool, mm-hmm. Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster – they're all either being looked at as running back one, wide receiver two, or great flex options. Yeah. But it's really interesting that Ben Roethlisberger has been shoved way down the fantasy boards among the industry this season. Because if you're, if you're saying that all of those guys are flex plays at worst, then the guy that's you know pushing the production through all of them, Ben Roethlisberger, should presumably have a good season himself. So I... That's a good pick to mention. Ben yeah. Roethlisberger is a good quarterback too, I and, think, and, and he was undervalued. I agree. I think in terms of value, I think Ben has better value this year than last year. Um, but I also will say this. I think one of the biggest reasons Ben has really kind of fallen back a little bit is just because of the injury uh, that, that happened in the past and, and just kind of how that offense looked towards the tail end of last season and everything. It just wasn't didn't look super great uh, for the team. But again, no, I think it was anemic. In terms, yeah, <laughs> in terms of value coming into the year, um, and and where he got him, I think he got him at the ninety third overall pick. I think that's, I think that's a great spot for him to take him. So, yes, you're giving a little, you're giving us a little preview of what yeah. we're about to talk about next, Eddie, which is our best and worst picks for each team. So we're actually going to go through every single one of our twelve teams. And Eddie and I are going to give you what we think was their best pick as well as what we thought was their worst pick. I'm going to actually list the teams here in the order that we drafted. So first, we're going to start off with Mike's team, God of the Super Saiyans. Eddie, I'll lead us off with what I thought was his best pick. I've already touched on it. It's Antonio Gibson. He, to- he chose him in round two with the last pick of the round. Um, it's not so much that... I think that there's going to be massive profit here. But for me, it was just the fact that there were probably four to five running backs drafted before Gibson at the end of the first round, beginning of the second round, that I would actually um, prefer less than Gibson. I think that Antonio Gibson, if you had to ask me which running back not taken in the first round this year is going to 
make a statement this year and leave no question that he's a first round talent in next year's fantasy football drafts, Antonio Gibson would be my pick. I think he has um, that Christian McCaffrey skill set. And it's ironic because he's, he's on the team that has Christian McCaffrey. So that was my best pick yeah. for Mike. What did you have? I think I, I kind of had a toss up here. Um, obviously the obvious pick is, is the number one overall with CMC, but I think another one that kind of stood out to me is DK Metcalf in round three, got him at the very first pick. I think DK has a very good chance as, as he did last year to really sustain himself as a wide receiver one, um, especially with Russell Wilson and the way that that team team is looking. I could just see DK Metcalf just really taking over again um, and, and hopefully finishing as a top five wide receiver this year. Uh, if everything works out for him and especially at the value that he got him, I really expect the DK to be taken sometime in the second round. Um, but, but yeah, that, that's who I have there. Um, and then I'm going to transition right over to the worst pick. And Let's actually say it on three. Cause I guarantee you that you and I picked the same player three. I, two, I don't think one. we might have, but Oh, all right. Then I won't spoil it. Cause I think you okay. probably know who I'm saying I'm suggesting. Go ahead, Eddie. So I had, I had two up. I had Kyle Pitts as my one. Thought it was a little early, but I understand. And then my next one was Trey Lance. Okay, wow. Yeah. So neither of those guys yeah. were my pick. All right, you, I think you can go ahead. In terms of value, I think Trey Lance is, is a good pick. But in terms of value and who was on the board, at this pick, you don't even know if you're getting Trey Lance. At this pick, you might be getting Jimmy G. And if you look at it in terms of that aspect, it's just not worth it to me at that point. I think if you if you wait a couple couple more rounds and then maybe take him, I think there were some quarterbacks that were still left on the board that I think could produce really well at that point. Um, but that was a two I have at that point. Um, unless the 49ers have come out and said that Trey Lance is their starter, then cool. But looked into it and I couldn't find that, so. Interestingly enough, I'm um, just to kind of add a little bit of context to your pick of Trey Lance. Justin Fields went five picks later, and I know that Trey Lance has the higher perceived upside, but I think that even though neither have been confirmed to be their team starter this season, I think that the widespread expectation is that Fields is going to take over. Um, with a little bit more certainty early mm. in the season than Trey Lance. Like, we don't know for sure that Trey Lance is even going to play this year, as you kind of exactly. alluded to. Remember, mm. Patrick Mahomes, who's the guy that he is often compared to as having elite upside. Pat Mahomes sat behind Alex Smith for his entire rookie season. Yeah. So, not to necessarily scare Mike out of the pick that he made, but I think both. Fields and Lance are risky picks on the premise that you don't know when they're going to take over. But I think that the expectation is that Fields is going to take over earlier for his team than Lance will in San Francisco. And bringing up Fields, I actually have him listed a little further down here as, as, one, of my, as one of my options here. So, but okay. Who'd you have? Yeah, so my worst pick for Michael's team, it's probably no surprise to you because we... Uh, gave our quote-unquote free piece of advice last week. It's Michael Thomas, who Mike took with the 12th pick of the eighth round. He probably thought, okay, at this point, I've waited long enough. If he plays even five games for me this season at 
Michael Thomas level, then I'm okay with the draft capital that I spent for him right here. The problem is that I do not think that Michael Thomas is going to play at all this year. And I think that while he got him quote unquote late, I would still prefer guys that went after him. And I know that this guy in particular, the first guy I'm going to bring up is on Michael's team. So it might sound counterintuitive, but I'm just kind of suggesting that there was a lot of talent on the board after this pick that I would ra- much rather have than Michael Thomas because I don't think that he's going to play. Jalen Waddell, Marquez Callaway, LaVisca Chenault Jr., Melvin Gordon, Will Fuller, Michael Pittman. That's just in the first 12 picks in the direct aftermath of Michael Thomas being taken. Again, if you're taking him super late, whatever, because if he returns at all, it's just all profit for you. I just don't necessarily know that this was late enough. I think anything after round 10 would have been perfectly fine for Michael Thomas because you're kind of getting into just bench-only options for your fantasy team at that point. So that was my, uh, my best pick for Mike's team was Antonio Gibson. Uh, Eddie's was DK Metcalf. My worst pick for Michael's team was Michael Thomas. Eddie's was uh, kind of a mix of Kyle Pitts, but more, I think, more emphasized in your point was Trey Lance. Yeah, I mean, Kyle Pitts, I can I can make an excuse for taking that early just because after the top three tight ends, it's all in the air, and Kyle Pitts is in the air right now. So I think you're making equal an equal gamble on whoever you take pretty much after that. But yeah. So, Eddie, you're up next. You were the number two pick uh, in our draft order. Mm-hmm. Juan Decimo Magnifico. I will lead us off with both both picks of my best pick for your team and my worst pick for your team. Uh, and then you can kind of, I guess, add some context to my picks as well as share your own for your team. So my best pick is probably one that you will agree with because this is the feature of your bold prediction last week. It's Marquez Callaway or Marquez Callaway. I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce the first name. You picked him in the ninth round with a second overall pick. And I think that any time after, let's say, the first six rounds that you can get a wide receiver one for any franchise that doesn't have a complete loser at quarterback, which I don't think that the Saints do because Jameis Winston has been a top 10 quarterback in fantasy multiple times. He has produced wide receiver ones for fantasy multiple times. I think that that's going to be a recipe for profit for you with Marquez Callaway, assuming that he is the wide receiver one in New Orleans, which all signs point to that being true right now. So that was my best pick for your team. My worst pick, uh, this was one that I know that you were excited about, so you may not like this, but it was definitely Baker Mayfield, who you took in the fourth round with the 11th pick. Baker Mayfield is just a guy that I struggle to get behind. I know there are a lot of weapons in Cleveland's offense, um, but he was taken very late by Nick in our fantasy football draft last last year, along with Cam Newton. And even though Nick was basically desperate for quarterback last year because Cam Newton was trash after the first two to three weeks, I think he still ended up either dropping or trading Baker Mayfield away for basically whatever he could get because Baker was just, I don't want to say that bad, but he was just that average. So for me, I know that you're predicting a breakout for him, but I guess I think that you, it's almost as if you paid 
for a flash of a breakout that he showed last year that I just either am not remembering or just straight up didn't see. So that's why I chose him for my worst pick for your team. So I'll let you speak to my picks as well as give us your picks for your own team. Yeah. Uh, first, I'll start with with my pick as the the best pick, and that was Marquez Callaway. I think for me to be able to get him in the ninth round that late was kind of surprising, especially with Michael Thomas coming off the board before him and Marquez actually being the wide receiver one. Um, I think that speaks alone for kind of the value that I got with him. I was really excited when he fell to me. Um, and then we actually had a draft immediately right after this one where Marquez went right before my pick where I wanted him. Um, and I was pretty upset about it. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty big on Marquez Callaway. Um, and then for my worst pick, I actually had Gus Edwards. Um, I just wasn't sure as now the running back one for the Ravens for how long we don't really know, uh, but I'll point all, all reports and everything that's coming out right now is pointing to him being the consistent running back one. So we'll see. I, I know that the uh, back one, so we'll see. I, I know that the, uh, the Ravens are looking for another running back right now actively and kind of shopping through the market. So. Yeah. Some bad news actually for Gus Edwards is that justice Hill who was their third string running back, tore his ACL today. So I think that the Ravens were semi-content before, but now they're looking at guys like Le'Veon Bell. I don't think that Todd Gurley was part of that mix, but I know for sure that they brought Le'Veon Bell and Devontae Foreman in. Um, so I don't necessarily know that whoever ends up being the running back one for the Ravens has much to worry about from that angle because I think that those guys aren't threatening running back one workloads, but it's certainly um, more threatening than a Justice Hill, I guess, is where I'm going yeah. with it. Not great news. <laughs> and then in terms of just to kind of give some clarity on Baker Mayfield, the biggest thing I was looking at last year, I think, is, is second half of his year. He played really well. Um, he had a couple – he had three games where he actually had under 10 points. Uh, which was kind of disappointing. But other than that, he had uh, 18 points, 29, 30, 20, and then 16 points at the end of the season. Um, nothing really too flashy, but in terms of kind of what was surrounding and what was available at the time, I think I was willing to take the risk on Baker Mayfield there and, and kind of see how he performs. Um, but, yeah. Sure. So our next team, uh, Sean, who was third in our draft order, my best pick for him, I've already spoken in detail. It was T. Higgins, who he took with the third pick of the seventh round. Eddie, who did you have for best pick for the football heads? I think Aaron Rodgers in the second round. I know that the, early on, a few months ago, there was just a lot going on with the whole Aaron Rodgers things and, and not knowing if he was going to play. Obviously, everyone knows he's going to play, so his value is kind of back up again. Um, but I think what Aaron Rodgers is going to give you at that position, especially towards, he got Aaron Rodgers towards the tail end of the second round. Um, I think is a really good value for him. And, and I was pretty excited about that um, for him. I thought it was a really good pick. I was hoping he made him to me because if Rodgers would have made it to me, I, I might've taken him there, um, but he just, he, he didn't make it all the way around. Um, the, the worst pick I have for him right now, um, and, and this isn't necessarily the player himself. It's just who he has the ball throwing to him. I um, mean, who the quarterback is and it's Brandon Cooks. 
I think the Texans office is so bad. And obviously he's that one weapon that people are going to be thinking, okay, at least he's going to get the ball, but it's, it's Tyrod Taylor throwing the ball. And I don't have much faith in Tyrod to actually do very well and give Brandon cooks what he needs. So to me, again, not necessarily Brandon cooks fault on this one. It's just the situation that he's in. Isn't that great? I actually thought that Brandon cooks was a pretty good pick. Um, just because, again, he's the wide receiver one for his team. I know that Tyrod is a very shaky quarterback situation, especially because we haven't seen him start in a couple years since uh, Justin Herbert took over for him last year after like two weeks. I thought it was a decent pick. My worst pick for Sean, and this is about as low critique as you can possibly receive, so I guess that suggests kudos to Sean. It was actually his last pick of the draft, the Chiefs defense in the in the 18th round with the 10th pick, mainly because he already had a defense. Um, also because predicting the production of defenses, even those that you think will be the very best of the best, has proven to be pretty volatile. I think it's easier to kind of predict kicker production than it is to predict defensive production. So, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. If he took a second kicker, that would also be my pick for worst pick here. I don't. I guess my bottom line is I don't think that you should ever draft two defenses or two kickers, um, mainly because, again, you could probably stream a defense or even stream a kicker, but especially because defense is the harder of the two to predict which teams are actually going to be good and productive. I think it it it's mainly a position that we predict based on past production which is not for an entire unit as opposed to just one individual player like you find at the skill positions. I think it's a lot harder to predict what an entire team is going to produce on one side of the ball. So that was my worst pick for Sean. What are you going to do is his last pick of the draft. <laughs> yeah, and, and for me, I had a, a tough time looking at Sean's team and, and seeing, okay, this was a bad pick. Like I, I really couldn't find that. Um, and that's why I was really looking for kind of some of those outliers that not necessarily the player themselves, but the situation that they were in. But, but yeah, I was going to say, you have a little bit more stones with your pick. I'll admit, because it, it's almost like a cop-out answer to say somebody's yeah. last pick of the draft was their worst pick. Um, so credit to you for kind of not taking the easy way out. Like, like I did with Sean's <laughs> team. Cause I really do like, I mean, obviously both of us really like his team as we mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Next team that we're going over is Rolf. That is Kyron's team. He was uh, fourth in our draft order. My best pick for him was Calvin Ridley, who he got with the fourth pick of the third round. Um, primarily because I think you wouldn't have to spend a lot of time convincing me that Calvin Ridley has wide receiver one overall in fantasy upside. I think that there is a very plausible path. If he stays healthy all season, to him being the number one wide receiver in the NFL this year. Eddie, what did you have for best pick? I think kind of looking at his team and, and, and who he chose just in general. Um, I know in terms of the Saints, Traquan Smith is another good one. Obviously, he, he kind of has a questionable mark with him. It's not really sure kind of what's going on at, at this certain point with him. But with that being said, Saints don't really have a lot of wide receiver weapons. And I think as late as he got him, he got him in the 16th round. I think that late, that's as risk-free as almost a pick you can get with a wide receiver that might have wide receiver two potential um, if he's healthy. Um, 
And then I also did have Russell Wilson as a, as I mentioned in the second round, I love Russell Wilson. Um, he, if he would have felt to me in the second round or anything around there, I would have snatched him up in a heartbeat. So that's, uh, it's kind of my honorable mention for that one. Um, yeah, I know you were disappointed live yeah. when Russell yeah. Wilson got taken in that second round. Yeah. I think, I think we I think both I'm, know what the I was going to say. <laughs> I think it's, I think we can share with confidence in unison, our yeah. worst pick this time, three, two, one, Zach Ertz. Ertz. Zach Ertz. What a horrible pick. Definitely the worst pick of Kyron's draft. He took him with the ninth pick of the sixth round. Uh, I don't think that Zach Ertz is the tight end one in Philadelphia, let alone in fantasy. That's why I think he was the worst pick. I don't know that he was even worth being drafted, period. If Kyron wanted him, he probably could have picked him up on waivers after the draft finished. Just for, for reference, TJ Hawkinson was taken in the next round towards the tail end of the round. And that is tight end one for his team. So to me, and I was going to say, I don't think um, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that this is like a slam dunk pick or anything, but I, I think that the actual tight end one for the Eagles was drafted four rounds later by me, Dallas Goddard. That's who I would expect to be the fantasy tight end one. Um, Agreed. And if, he gets the usage that Ertz has seen in his prime seasons. I think he definitely, you know, could be a tight end one. But I'll stop the Goddard pandering there because he's actually not part of this segment at all, at least not for my picks. So, yeah, I do. I do think for me, this was pretty close to being probably one of the worst picks in the draft um, just because of the value where he took him at six. Zach Ertz, probably not even tight end one for the Eagles. It was just not that great of a pick and all of us had a pretty, uh, pretty equal reaction. Once we saw Zach Ertz come off the board and we were all sitting on the couch, just kind of, I mean, on the table, just kind of staring at each other. Like, wow, you really just took Zach. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think there's any question. This was the worst pick of the draft. Yeah. Um, maybe Michael Thomas, if he doesn't end up playing, but that's the only pick that I can foresee beating this one out. <laughs> I agree. All right. Our next team, Kevin, who picked fifth in our draft order team, Randy Marsh, his best pick. So I've already talked about a last round pick is the worst pick, but this time I'm actually going with, with Kevin's last round pick is my best pick for his team. Jameis Winston, who he took with the eighth pick of the 18th round. So the fifth to last pick of the entire draft. Now, I don't think that Jameis Winston should have been drafted earlier than this. But the reason why I say it's the best pick is if you're going to draft quarterback late, specifically your quarterback too late, then you should probably just wait until like the last or the second to last at the earliest round to take that second quarterback. And among the quarterbacks that were left, none of them, um, at least to my knowledge, have produced top 10 um, or what we would consider to be QB1 numbers in the past, except... Jameis Winston, who has done it actually multiple times. If you remember when he was with Tampa Bay, I don't want to call him a stud because he's always been pretty inconsistent. He's been kind of boomer bust, but his season long finishes, he's been a quarterback one multiple times. And I know that he doesn't necessarily have the supporting cast now that he did in Tampa Bay because he had Mike Evans as wide receiver one. Now he has Marquez Callaway. But he does still have Alvin Kamara, who's one of the best running backs in the league, which he did not have that ever in Tampa Bay. So I would ex- still expect under one of the smartest coaches in the league, Sean Payton, 
for Jameis Winston to produce at a similar level to what he did in Tampa Bay, which, again, was a quarterback one for fantasy. So I think that this was a super smart, all-upside pick by Kevin. It was my favorite pick of his draft. What did you have, Eddie? Actually, I had the pick he took right before that um, in Devontae Booker. I think with the Giants' backfield and Saquon Barkley coming back from an injury, I think it's a very smart and safe pick to take his backup. Um, just because Saquon has been known to kind of be a workhorse for the New York Giants. And God forbid, and knock on wood, if Saquon Barkley gets hurt again, um, I think Devontae Booker has a lot of upside. Uh, him being in Vegas last year behind Josh Jacobs, Booker filling in for Josh, Josh Jacobs while he was out for a short period of time. Um, so I, I kind of had that up there. And then I want to have Keenan Allen as kind of one of my honorable mentions. I'm a big fan of Keenan Allen. I had him last year. Um, and he always produces um, at a really good and high level. So that's who I kind of had there. And then as my worst pick for Kevin's team, it's not a, not a big fan of this guy, is Marquise Brown. Um, hasn't really produced very well with Lamar Jackson, just really hasn't done anything to make me look at him at any point in the draft and really be like, okay, this is this is a guy that I want. Um, he just haven't hasn't really proven himself at all. Um, but what do you think? My worst pick, um, which I know Kevin was excited about this pick, it was Tua Tagovailoa with the fifth pick of the fifth round. I'm just not high on Tua. We had a conversation about him on last week's episode about how it doesn't even seem like his organization has confidence in him to be the franchise quarterback despite spending the fifth overall pick of the NFL draft on him. So they're obviously heavily invested in him in terms of what they spent to get him. And even still, after less than a season, it already appears that they don't that they're lacking confidence in him. So I think that Tua has a pretty big uphill battle to become the upside player that Kevin is hoping he can be by taking him with his fifth pick of his personal draft. Um, He does have a decent supporting cast. He has Jalen Waddell, Will Fuller, Devontae Parker, Miles Gaskin, Mike Gesicki. But he doesn't necessarily have a standout transcendent talent on that offense that he can kind of go to and rely on to be his connection, uh, to to kind of try to help him grow as a second-year quarterback. So I think that even though the you know, if you look at the supporting cast as a whole, it's pretty decent. There's, there's good options for sure. He doesn't necessarily have the guy that even if he makes a faulty throw, that guy is going to bail him out six times out of 10 more often than not. You know, he doesn't have that trans- transcendent pass catcher. So I think that Tua is going to struggle this year. I think that if he does struggle, uh, you're going to kind of start to hear messages from the Miami Dolphins organization that, that show a lack of confidence in him, such as they have already shown over the past, I'll say, second half of last season and this offseason with the Deshaun Watson trade rumors. So I just didn't like the Tua pick. I actually prefer um, a handful of quarterbacks that went after him. I took Trevor Lawrence in the next round. Matt Ryan went in the next round, which I know he's not a sexy pick, but I think he's still a little bit more reliable and you can have a little bit more confidence in what you're getting from a guy like Matt Ryan. I like Justin Fields more as an up, upside pick. He went two rounds later. Uh, we've already talked about Big Ben Roethlisberger, who went three rounds later. I thought that he was a guy that I might prefer to Tua. 
Kirk Cousins went four rounds later. Ryan Fitzpatrick went in that same round. These are all guys that, um, if they're not slam dunks for me to prefer them over Tua, I would at least prefer them as much as Tua, and they all went somewhere between two to four rounds later. So that was my least favorite pick of Kevin's draft. Yep, and I agree, and I think uh, I think we all saw this. I think this was a nervous pick for Kevin. I don't think he expected the quarterbacks to go that fast, even though he heard it on the podcast that quarterbacks were going to go pretty quick and the top quarterbacks are going to be gone very fast. Um, I remember him talking and as quarterbacks were flying off the board, he was just kind of nervous. He's like, Oh man, I need a quarterback. I don't have one. And the two quarterbacks that he was really looking at were taken right before his pick. And that was Baker Mayfield and Ryan Tannehill. Um, So I think he was just kind of left in a spot to be like, okay, he's got to scramble for a quarterback. Um, and this is kind of what he came up with, but again, I don't, I don't fault you on that either. Cause not a very good pick. Like you mentioned, there was, there were some other quarterbacks still left on the board after that, that I think I would have had over to a, but. Or at the very least, just kind of like in the same tier, you know, yeah. so you could have waited and gotten mm-hmm. a little bit more of a, I guess, an, I don't want to say elite cause fifth round, there's probably not much elite talent left on the board, but high value assets and other positions for your team. Let's move on to Lucas, uh, Hugh Neutron. He was one of my honorable mentions for roster that I liked the most coming out of the draft. I'll share my best pick for his team first. It was Nick Chubb with the second, with the seventh pick of the second round. Um, I think that Chubb was deserving to be one of the running backs taken either at the tail end of round one or at the very beginning of round two. I know that I chose Jonathan Taylor over Chubb. I would have basically, uh, I, out of the running backs who were chosen kind of at the turn, I would have ranked them Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler. So I think that, you know, if Taylor was going to be kind of passed to me at my second pick, then I think that the running back left on the board at that point that should have been drafted over him. Uh, I know Zeke was up there too. So if not Zeke, I thought after that it should have been Chubb. So maybe... Um, either Zeke or Chubb there kind of at the end where there was that first to second round turn but Chubb fell all the way to the second half of the second round and I know Kareem Hunt is the most valuable handcuff in fantasy football because he has already shown himself to be a fantasy asset even when Chubb is healthy but I don't necessarily devalue Chubb just because of Kareem Hunt's presence. I think that the Browns have shown that Chubb is their guy. He's the running back one in Cleveland. They paid him as such this offseason, off and I expect them to continue to use him as such. So Chubb was definitely my favorite pick of Lucas's draft. How about you, Eddie? Yeah, I, I agree with that one 100%. I actually have Chubb as my personal number four running back in this draft. Um, it gets very close around that area, around four, five, six for me with who I have at that area. Um, and he went as running back 11, um, which was, I think, a steal at that point. I mean, I don't care who else is left on the board at that point. If Nick Chubb is there and all the other running backs are gone, I think that's it's great value. Um, so, yeah, that was that was 100% my spot. Um, I think for worst pick, at Justin Fields, um, and really only for one issue, not because of the player I know he'll probably become and he'll probably play week two and start week two or at least sooner than later it's the fact that he's going to have to drop Justin Fields waste the waiver and pick up Andy Dalton and it just burns a waiver it just doesn't make any sense at that point you draft Dalton knowing he's going to start week one so you don't have to waste that waiver just in case if Dalton starts for week two three four 
you have him there. And then Justin Fields is always available for you to take once he comes back in. Um, it's actually again, a good point for me to clarify because Sean asked the same question to me privately. For teams that have the rights to the quarterbacks on the NFL organization that they drafted, you actually don't have to burn a waiver claim because Lucas is obviously saying, hey, I would like the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears. Then that is him indicating to us, the rest of the league, hey, I'm exercising my dibs on the Bears starting quarterback. And the way that we've handled that for the last two seasons which is basically my basis for the decision here. I don't want to change it now after we've handled it this way over the past two seasons, is that if you exercise your dibs, you actually don't have to burn a waiver claim to get that guy. You can wait until everybody is, is made a free agent and then just kind of add them for free. And same thing when the job passes back over to Fields. Yeah. Still see where it's you're fine. coming from because there's still risk. We've already touched on it when we talked about Trey Lance. Um, mm-hmm. We expect Fields to take over early, but there's no guarantee and you could still get a very valuable lineup asset in the seventh round where Fields is taken. Yeah, and, and it was good to clarify on that because I actually had a point immediately right after that to after I said what I was going to say, bring up the point of the actual wasting a waiver claim or not. So, but yeah, either yeah. way, I think, like you said before, I think Justin Fields, where he was taken, might be a little risky, um, but I see more of an upside with Justin Fields than I did with Trey Lance. Yeah, it's one of those situations where I like the pick for somebody else's team. I personally would not make the pick for my team. It's just a little bit too risky yeah. for me. That's all. Yeah. Uh, my worst pick for Lucas was actually his other quarterback, Tom Brady, who he took with the sixth pick of the third round. And I know quarterbacks were going fast. Um, I know that Tom Brady has been Mr. Consistent in fantasy. He's produced at a high level for... I don't know, 15 years now. But the reason why I chose Tom Brady as my worst pick for Lucas's team is you have to consider the assets that Lucas passed up to get Tom Brady in the third round, those being right after his pick. Darren Waller, A.J. Brown, George Kittle, Terry McLaurin, James Robinson, Allen Robinson, C.D. Lamb, Joe Mixon, David Montgomery, all of these guys I would consider to be elite or near elite assets. And again, quarterbacks were going fast, but guys like Matthew Stafford, Jalen Hurts, Ryan Tannehill, Joe Burrow, all of these guys were still on the board for Lucas. So if I were in his spot, I would have taken another skill position, elite talent at this pick. And then maybe in the fourth round on the backside, tried to get one of those quarterbacks that I just mentioned, and maybe even Tom Brady falls another round and he gets him in the fourth round. That's kind of why I don't, I don't dislike Tom Brady himself, but just the way that the draft played out, I think I would have preferred to wait on Tom Brady or one of those guys that I consider to be in the same tier or a similar tier to Tom Brady to get a round or two later if I were Lucas. Yeah. And he was, he was an honorable mention for me um, just because of the value. Like you just said, there's, so much more value left. Um, and just to go back to the point, just the tight ends that were available to him right there, he didn't get a tight end until round 10, and it was Noah Fant. I think the difference you get with Noah Fant to Waller or Kittle, and then whoever you can get after Tom Brady and a few rounds later, I think is a very, very, very drastic difference. Um, but yeah, I agree. 
So our next team is JC, who has yet to choose a cartoon-themed name. Um, he said he's going to today, so hopefully by next week's episode, we'll have everyone with their league theme team name to use for the for the podcast. For his best pick, I was very torn on this because I actually don't like the player that I picked for his best pick, but I did expect him to be drafted earlier than he actually was. And for me, that was Miles Sanders. He is not a guy that I want on my team personally. He's not a guy that I am really interested in targeting in a trade, even if I was in discussion with JC and he said, hey, what about this guy? I'm making him available to you. He's not necessarily a guy that I want, right? But given where JC decided to draft his running back to, which was for Miles Sanders, he was the sixth pick of the fourth round. I think anytime you can get a running back two that at least has running back one upside after the first 40 picks, I think that it's hard for me to classify it as a bad pick. And JC's draft was so interesting to me and so kind of hard for me to decipher the values that that kind of intangible blanket statement of he got a running back two with RB1 upside after the first 40 picks just kind of by default made Miles Sanders my best pick for his team. So sounds a little backwards because I don't like Miles Sanders myself, but I did think that he got him at a good value. Who was your best pick for JC's team? I think for me, and you've seen this in a few of my other picks, and I've kind of spoken about it with a couple other running backs, especially the one right before this with Chubb, but Najee Harris. I think to me had late first round potential to get drafted and picked up in the late first round. He has running RB one potential, obviously coming into Pittsburgh. They're going to utilize him very heavy. Um, and I think for him getting him halfway through the second round, um, I think it's a really good value for Najee Harris. And again, I, I think he'll do really well. Um, I think our worst picks are probably the same pick. Um, and that's just Darren Waller. I, I get Darren Waller is a great tight end, but you literally drafted Travis Kelsey in the first round. I just think it's kind of pointless to grab Waller here. I understand you might be thinking, oh, I might get some trade value. Don't get me wrong. I know people have reached out to you, and I know that I even reached out to you just for Waller. And it wasn't more because I really want Waller. I just want to see what you think you're getting for Waller when you drafted him in the third round when there was some other talent directly around him you're probably going to be asking for anyways within a trade. So I think for me, that's, that's the worst pick. Yeah. Eddie, you make a great point that we were all on the same page about uh, in the, at the in-person draft uh, that is me, you, Nick and Kevin who are there. And even in some of us in the chat wondering what was going on with that second tight end drafted in the third round after taking Kelsey in the first round. I also chose JC's tight end as his worst pick, but I actually chose Travis Kelsey as my worst pick for JC's team. And it's because when I was going through this, to avoid coming off as contradictory, I originally had Darren Waller as my best pick strictly based on value. I think with the seventh pick of the third round, that is a great spot to get who you consider to be tight end two overall and one of only three elite assets at the position. 
The reason why I didn't pick him for best pick is because I was one of those that was publicly critical of JC taking two tight ends with his first three picks. But that being said, I think that he got Waller in a great spot. Where I think JC, it's, it's kind of easy to retroactively point back at this, so I don't want to be too critical. But considering um, you mentioned who he passed up to get Waller, I think who he passed up to get Kelsey was even more critical. The fact that he let Patrick Mahomes, who 100% should not have been there at pick seven, the fact that he still kind of stuck to his guns and said, no, I'm not going to draft Patrick Mahomes, even though on most people's boards, he is a top two asset, at worst top three, uh, pass him by to kind of be in this hard set tight end route draft. I think that his team would look beautiful if he had just taken Mahomes there instead because um, that wouldn't have affected Darren Waller's draft stock. He still would have been available there to JC in the third round. And if he had Mahomes, then Najee Harris, then Darren Waller, that is a beautiful start to the draft. And so I know it kind of sounds weird, but it's actually Travis Kelsey is the guy that I'm going to pick for JC's worst pick, considering that he passed up on Patrick Mahomes to get him. Yeah, I just think that that whole tight end situation is just a little wonky. Taking two tight ends with your first three picks is just a little bit of a head scratcher. But I, I can't see that point that you brought up about Kelsey and, and being taken before Mahomes because I actually didn't even notice that um, when I was looking at it. So, yeah, that's kind of wild. Yeah, ironically, uh, our next team, Penguins of Madagascar, that is Jake, who drafted right after JC with the eighth pick. Uh, you mentioned that this was your best value of the draft, so I would imagine he is your best pick. He's also yes. my best pick for Jake's team, Patrick Mahomes, with the eighth pick of the draft. Um, so a little bit of a uh, you know different picture being painted here. So I just chose the seventh overall pick of the draft to be JC's worst pick of his team. I'm choosing Patrick Mahomes, uh, who was drafted with the very next pick to be the best pick of Jake's team. I don't think that Jake anticipated this. There is no possible way Jake could have planned for this, but this was the best case scenario for Jake, short of Christian McCaffrey slipping to him, which would never, ever, ever happen. But it just goes to show that Patrick Mahomes slipping to him should have never, ever, ever happened. Uh, so Jake... I mean, I give him props for taking him here because obviously five other teams decided to pass up on Mahomes. So Jake was the one where the box or the buck stopped there. Uh, so that was a great pick for Jake. Let's talk about our worst pick because this one might be where you and I are a little bit different. I'll lead us off. And this was an interesting pick for me that I'll have to kind of explain a little bit. It was Robert Woods, who he took in the fifth round, uh, pick eight. And it's totally not because I don't like Robert Woods or that I don't think that it was appropriate for him to be drafted in the fifth round. And it has everything to do with the fact that Mike Davis is Jake's running back two overall. And if you notice the running backs that were available at the time that Jake chose Robert Woods, the primary guy that I am looking at is DeAndre Swift, who went two picks later. That's a guy that, similar to a Calvin Ridley type, I have less confidence. Let me caveat by saying I have a lot less confidence in Swift's 
ultimate ceiling versus a guy like Ridley's ultimate ceiling. But DeAndre Swift does have running back one overall in fantasy upside, in my opinion. I don't I I think it's he is priced relatively appropriately because I think it's a very long shot that he would hit that. But you still can't ignore that I think that he does have running back overall running back one overall upside. And he was taken in the fifth round here, two picks after Woods. So that is a hundred percent a guy that you prefer to have over Mike Davis as your running back two. And to kind of connect all the dots, if Jake had went DeAndre Swift with his fifth round pick over Robert Woods, he still would have been able to get a wide receiver in the very next round, such as a Jerry Judy, a T. Higgins, a Juju Smith-Schuster, a Cortland Sutton. And I much prefer one of those guys in combination with DeAndre Swift than I do to the combination of Robert Woods and Mike Davis. So a very long-winded explanation of why I suggest that even though he was appropriately priced, Robert Woods was my pick for Jake's worst pick. Eddie, what did you have? I myself had Jalen Hurts as his worst pick, um, just in terms of really value. And in my opinion, I think there were some better quarterbacks that were still on the board. I get Jalen Hurts has a pretty high upside, I think his 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 upside is is very high, um, but again, I think his floor is extremely low. Um, and, and just to read off some of the quarterbacks that were available there, you, know, you had Ryan Tannehill, Baker Mayfield, uh, obviously Mayfield and Burrow. A little bit of a question mark. Uh, they've somewhat have performed, but not very consistently. Um, and just to, to kind of roll down a little bit further, Trevor Lawrence. I feel like I would have given him a shot just to see what what he has. I think that offense Trevor Lawrence has in terms of weapons and wide receivers might be a little bit better than what Philly has. Obviously Devonte Smith is a, a great talent. Just not really sure. Um, you have Matt Ryan, like you mentioned earlier is a pretty consistent option at the quarterback uh, option there. So again, I just, in terms of value wise, I think the fourth round for Hertz is, is a little high for me. Yeah, it is. It is definitely, I would say the ceiling of where he, where I would expect him to be drafted. I would expect no earlier than the fourth round. So I think Jake was kind of taking him, I guess, quote unquote, at the ceiling of his price. Mm -hmm. That being said, I obviously like Jalen Hurts because I picked him as my player being drafted outside the first two rounds that is most likely to return first round production. Mm -hmm. Um, But still, uh, as you mentioned, kind of being drafted at the ceiling of his price. So uh, respect the pick there. I'm going to try to move a little bit quicker through these next few. Uh, The next one we have is Otto Rocket. That's Nick. He drafted ninth in our draft order. For all the same reasons that I said that I was considering Darren Waller as JC's best pick, um, but I kind of shied away from it because I didn't want to sound contradictory after criticizing him taking two tight ends in the first three rounds. I'm picking George Kittle for Nick's best pick because obviously he did not take two tight ends with his first three picks. And I think that George Kittle is right on par with Darren Waller, an awesome value at the ninth pick of the third round. And I was surprised that Jake didn't, I I totally expected Jake to swoop him up right after JC took Darren Waller one pick before Nick was on the clock. That was my best pick for Nick's team. What did you have, Eddie? I actually had Cole Beasley Uh, coming from last year. Cole Beasley was a waiver wire pickup and he produced roughly about 12 to 13 points a game. Um, being picked up from the from the wire and i think as a flex option it's a really good option for him um so cole beasley for me was was my best pick obviously kittle was really my main option but i didn't want to 
didn't want to repeat you there, but yeah. My worst pick for Knicks team is simply a guy that I just don't really care for. It was Tyler Lockett two rounds later than my best pick for Knicks team. He got him with the ninth pick of the fifth round. I think Tyler Lockett, uh, his season-long production is always up there as like a low-end wide receiver one, somewhere in the wide receiver two range. He's just so, so, so boomer bust, which I personally don't prefer for my lineups. So I just didn't like the pick for Nick. Um, Tyler Lockett being the first wide receiver that he chose for his team. I just uh, don't love it, but there was obviously not a lot of elite wide receiver talent um, being that he waited until the fifth round to take his first wide receiver. Yeah, agreed. The next team is Thundercats. That's Scott's team. My best pick, I'm not going to elaborate because I've already talked about him just a few minutes ago. It was DeAndre Swift. Swift, who he took with the 10th pick of the fifth round. Um, and I'll actually just go ahead and give you the worst pick that I had for Scott's team. It was the Ravens defense, who he took in the 11th round with the 10th pick. Um, I don't necessarily have like a lot of specific details to share here, but I think that he got, could have gotten a similar defense a round or multiple rounds later. Again, I've already touched on it with Sean's team. It's just hard to predict defensive production. So I'm kind of of the mindset. I know I took defense early last year, but I've shifted my mindset to you could probably just wait until the last couple rounds of the draft to draft defense. So that was my worst pick for Scott's team. What do you have for your best and worst picks for Scott? I think best pick for me is Terry McLaurin. I think the grouping of wide receivers that were taken in the third round there, I think had really good value. I, I also, I, like I said before, I think some of those receivers should have been taken a little bit earlier, um, but I think it's a really good pick for him. It, his wide receivers stacked right now are Diggs and McLaurin as his wide receiver one or wide receiver two. So I think it's really good for him. Uh, my worst pick for him is actually Jamar Chase, uh, an LSU guy. There's a lot of hype coming into the year, Jamar Chase being the number one or number two receiver coming into this draft class. Um, but with training camp and coming out of training camp and preseason, just haven't really heard a lot of good things about Jamar Chase. Hasn't really been playing consistently. He's had a lot of drops. Um, do I expect that to translate over to the season? I think early on. I think maybe he'll find his footing. He did take a year off of football, so he might be feeling a little bit of jitter and uh, from that. But I think in terms of where he got him in the eighth round, I think Jamar probably would have fell a round or two later um, just because of his current value. But I think that was my worst one for him. Eddie, I'll let you turn around and, and yep. lead me off with your best and worst picks for my team, which is up next, Otis and the Bell Cows. Thank you. Probably who know, you know, you probably know who I like on your team. And it was a guy that when you took, I was pretty upset. And it was CeeDee Lamb. He was one of my hopefuls for this year. I love CeeDee Lamb coming into the year with Dak Prescott coming back. I think CeeDee has a very, very, very high ceiling um, this year. And with my bold prediction, I believe I said top five wide receiver maybe even top three. Can't remember exactly the number I said, but I said he's up there. Um, so he was one of those guys that I that I really liked off of your roster. Uh, worst pick, and, and this is yet to be determined just because I don't know what they're going to do with their backfield, um, but Tyson Williams, just not sure. Different guy you're looking at. Not sure what they do. If they sign Bell, um, I think Bell on the depth chart is above Williams, so that just pushes him back to RB3. Um and I think if they sign Devontae Freeman, I think it works out for you because I think Freeman would be RB3. Tyson would be an RB2. Um, to me, as a Ravens, I think it's a pretty easy decision of who I pick up between uh, Le'Veon Bell and Devontae Freeman, but we'll see what they do. 
Um, this is a guy that I'm just really not sure what that backfield's going to look like. And if they do pick somebody up, I'm not sure if I see him sticking at RB2. I, I could see him dropping back to RB3. So, but again, that has room to change. Yeah, it was definitely my speculative pick in the moment, um, just because at the time he was RB2 in Baltimore. Uh, CD Lamb was your player or the player that you picked to produce at a first round level that was being drafted outside the first two rounds. That was. Yes. That was the bold prediction. My best pick for my team, I would not have imagined saying this yesterday before our draft started because he was not really on my board, but I was pretty excited to get Trevor Lawrence with the second pick of the sixth round. Um, I don't necessarily expect him to be a QB1, but I certainly think that he has the upside to be a QB1. That is like a top 12 finish on the season. And I think that of the quarterbacks left on the board... I think that he probably has the most upside, um, or I should say had the most upside at that point in the beginning of the sixth round. So I was excited to get him as my QB2, even though I wasn't anticipating drafting him. I made a face to Eddie when he chose his worst pick because I thought he was going to pick the other guy um, on a team that we don't know how they're going to handle their backfield yet, Javante Williams, who was my worst pick, uh, or my pick for my worst pick, who I got with the 11th pick of the seventh round. I think that Javante Williams is going to be a very good asset at some point this fantasy season. The reason why I think he was my worst pick is that traditionally, I do not choose players who are stores of value, which I think is safe to classify Javante Williams as that. I don't think that he's going to be RB1 in Denver from week one onward. I think that it'll happen at some point this season, which is why I chose him, but I do not think that it's going to happen week one. So by default of that nature, I don't think that Javante Williams is is a very good flex play as of right now because of the uncertainty. I think he's better classified as a store of value for me to use later in the season, either in my lineup or through trade when he does eventually take over as the clear-cut workhorse in Denver. But again, I still had flex positions to fill in my lineup at that point of the draft, so I think that it was maybe inappropriate of me to be thinking a little bit more longer term before even filling up my starting lineups. That was my pick for worst pick. And then our league champion, the reigning defender, the rickest Rick Damon's team. Uh, best pick for me was Michael Pittman Jr., 12th pick of the ninth round. I think that he's going to have a breakout season, especially with T.Y. Hilton hurt. And now that the Colts actually have a competent quarterback, I know that may be controversial because a lot of people don't like Carson Wentz, but he is certainly better than what they've had over the past couple of years since Andrew Luck has retired. I think Michael Pittman will be a breakout wide receiver this year. That was my best pick for him. How about you, Eddie? This one was, was a little bit of a tough one for me, um, just kind of looking at the construction of his, of his roster. But Miles Gaskins is probably one of my more favorite picks that he has. I think Miles Gaskins is, is due for – to kind of shine in Miami and really take that step forward and become a top running back. Um, and, and where he got him in the value at round six, I think is, is a really good value for him. I know Mike miles Gaskins and some of my other drafts has also been dropping a little bit further back. Um, but that's, that's who I have as I think my best pick for him in terms of value worst pick. I actually, while looking through his roster, I really couldn't find anything that stood out to me as like, wow, that's like really bad. Um, the only the only question mark that I really had was Jonu Smith. I'm not really sure 
where New England is going with their tight ends, who's going to be their primary, who's not, um, just because they got Hunter Henry and John Smith back there. So that's the biggest question mark, I guess. I wouldn't really call it the worst, but the biggest question mark. My worst pick for him uh, is consistent with my pick for player being drafted in the first two rounds that I do not expect, or I should say player most likely to not finish in the top 50 that was being drafted in the first two rounds last week. It's Austin Eckler, who he chose with the 12th pick of the first round. Um, it was more just because I preferred other running backs on the board at that point. Ezekiel Elliott was there. Jonathan Taylor was there. Um, Nick Chubb, who we've already talked about, was there. I prefer all three of those guys to Austin Eckler this year. So that was my worst pick for Damon. Bold predictions, team edition. This is going to be pretty quick. Uh, Eddie, give me a bold prediction for two separate teams in our league this season based on the results of our draft. I think that Kyron will have his best year in this league. And I think if he keeps up, I think he has a really good chance of uh, making semifinals or even finals this year. Okay. Yeah. Zach Ertz leading my, the way. <laughs> Zach Ertz leading the way. Again, that is the only blemish that I really look at his roster and think, okay, this was very good. If he fixes that issue, he has a chance. I like okay. the rest of the, his roster. Your second um, bold prediction? And, and kind of moving away from that and moving to our bold prediction, I think Kevin will make a statement as his first year. I think he will finish as a possible top six team in the league. Um Again, we just have to look. Newcomers have had a pretty decent run. Obviously, Scott coming in last year had the best run because he's the best team in the league. Um, For the regular season. For the regular season. Ended up taking third. Yes. So those are are kind of my bold predictions. Not extremely bold, but just enough to really tickle some. So Kyron makes a semifinals appearance and Kevin makes playoffs are your bold predictions. Okay. My bold predictions are, one, Hugh Neutron, which is Lucas, will clinch a playoff berth before the last week of the regular season. So he will have a playoff spot locked up heading into the final week of the regular season for fantasy. My second bold prediction is that JC will elect to hold on to both Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller all season, not dealing either one of them, and he will still make playoffs. Those are my two bold predictions. Eddie, let's get into our week one matchup preview. Best matchup. I'm going to lead us off and be a little biased and say that my matchup with Scott, Thundercats versus Otis and the Bell Cows, is going to be the best matchup. I looked over the matchups thrice, three times, before choosing my own with Scott to kind of avoid coming across as biased. But I chose this one over my other primary consideration of Auto Rocket versus the Rickus Rick. Uh, which, you know, Nick and Damon, mainly because when I was looking at these two matchups, um, since they are season openers between two returning top four finishers, Damon is our league champion, Nick took fourth, I was our league runner-up, Nick or Scott took third. The combination of the two teams in each of these matchups aggregates to the same average finish, which is kind of somewhere between a second and third place finish, so not much separation there. So the tiebreaker for me was total projected points for the matchup. Um, And Scott and I actually took the cake with the highest projected scoring matchup in the league for week week one. So that was my pick. What'd you have? I actually had the same pick. Um, And really, for one section 
of the matchup, and I think it's the quarterback matchups between the two teams. I think it's going to be a really interesting matchup between the two quarterbacks. I think Trevor Lawrence and Ryan Fitzpatrick and then uh, Kyler Murray and Prescott. I think that's really going to be the big make or break for you this upcoming uh, week. And if you win or not, I think is, is those two guys in Prescott and Trevor Lawrence. Um, so that's, that's who I had. I think this should be a really fun quarterback matchup this week. Um, and, and obviously you guys have got some, some pretty good wide receivers back there to really push it. But again, I think, I think the quarterbacks makes this really exciting. And then points for, obviously, it's the highest so far projected. So it'll be fun. There you have it. Best matchup, uh, our pick for this coming week, week one. Uh, Eddie, what is your thing to watch for in week one? I think Andy Dalton against the Rams. Um, I think says a lot for Justin Fields. If Andy Dalton goes out there and he actually plays a really good game, I think Justin Fields' stock and where he was taken, I think drastically drops. Uh, just because Rams coming from being the number one defense in the league, and they, I don't really think they've lost anyone significant or even a single person off of that defense. So they're coming back this year with pretty much high hopes of being defense number one again. So I think Andy Dalton's performance is one of those that I'm, I'm intrigued to watch and see how he does. Um, I have another one, and I think it's just just in general, Saquon Barkley, just to see how the Giants use him, how much he's going to play, and and whether they're really going to put him out there for, for more than two quarters or, or how much he's really going to touch the field. Those are really my things to watch for this week. My thing to watch for is which teams will assert themselves as weekly options for best matchup. Um, I've now made this podcast for two different leagues spanning two seasons, and the one common denominator I find with my best matchup picks every episode we record is that usually at least one of the teams in the matchup has high season-long expectations. That is usually one of the perceived top four teams in the league is involved in my weekly best matchup pick. As of this moment, we only have historical information and successes and failures of the past to base those expectations on, but things can obviously quickly change after just, say, two to three weeks of the football season. So I'm excited to see which teams assert themselves as those top contenders this season. Matchup predictions. So obviously, Eddie and I are both 0-0 zero and zero on the season. We'll be tracking our matchup predictions all season long. Uh, let's talk about each matchup. First one I have is the Thundercats versus Otis and the Bell Cows. I actually have Scott's team winning this matchup. The Thundercats, who do you have winning, Eddie? I actually have yourself winning this, this matchup. Okay. Second matchup, the Rickest Rick versus Otto Rocket. That is Damon versus Nick. I have... Damon winning this one. Who do you have? I also have Damon winning this one. And a little side note, I think Sam Darnold loses it for Nick this week. Playing against his former team, the New York Jets. You think they're going to stop him? All right. Yeah. Third matchup, we have Rolf Kyron versus JC. I have JC winning this one. What do you have? And I actually have Kyron winning this one this week. Um, little bit of a surprise. I know Zach Ertz, again, as we've mentioned it before, a little bit of a question mark on his team, but I think he'll make the right decision and put Ebron in at his flex. But we'll see. Okay. Interesting note there. Next matchup, we have Randy Marsh versus Penguins of Madagascar. That is Kevin versus Jake. I have Penguins of Madagascar as the winner of this matchup. What do you have, Eddie? I have Jake winning this matchup. All right. So, so we both Penguins have Jake winning that one. Yep. yep. Uh, the second to last matchup, we have your team, Eddie, one DCMO Magnifico versus Sean's team, the football heads, who we both really like. 
I have Sean's team winning this matchup. Who do you have? I was up in the air. Obviously, I don't want to go against myself, but I think Sean, his team is just, it's really solid and it's going to be tough for me to beat him. I think the biggest question mark I have is Gus. So we'll see. But Sean, you are picking Sean here. Yes. Okay. And no worries, man. I picked against myself in my matchup yeah. too. So <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll, uh, Avoid the bad juju by picking mm-hmm. against yourself. We'll see. So our last matchup of the week, that leaves Hugh Neutron versus God of the Super Saiyans. That is Lucas versus Mike. I have Hugh Neutron, Lucas, winning this matchup. Who do you have, Eddie? For me, I, I couldn't pick one. I think it'll come down to whoever does better between Andy Dalton and Jimmy G. So you don't have a pick for that? You're just going to throw it up as a, a wash? Pick. I'm just going to throw it up there as a... Whoever does better out of those two, it was a tough one to pick. I mean, if I, if I have give to throw your, it out there just gut. for record's yeah, yeah. sake, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Hugh Neutron. All right. So there you have it. Those are our week one matchup predictions. Eddie, uh, I didn't get this from you beforehand, but we can do it live. Yes. We're going to move to the Around the League portion of the podcast in the first fantasy over-under segment of the season. Give me your over-unders this week. So number one, a guy on your team – and making his debut in the NFL, Trevor Lawrence. Will he have over or under 30 points in his debut against the Colts defense? It's a pretty high number. So, yeah. Yeah, I am definitely going to go with the under on that one. But if he got over 30, I would be ecstatic to be wrong about this pick. Yeah, I had, I had a lower number. I had 25, but I was like, that's a little too safe. I feel like you could choose a little bit under that. But I, I'm actually going to take the over here. Oh, I think wow. he's going to come out guns High blazing. Expectations. Yeah. And uh, I think he's going to prove himself as the, uh, the 1.1. 1. 1. Okay. Second over under next. I have the Rams defense over 15 points against Andy Dalton in the Chicago bears offense. Over under 15. I like that. I'm going to say over. I'm going to say that's that's going to be a big reason why Justin Fields is going to take over early this season is this week one matchup, actually. And for reference, we'll throw this out there. The Rams defense scored 14 points against the uh, against the Bears last year. Different quarterback, obviously. But Trubutsky. Yes. <laughs> I am also oh, go I'm actually going to I'm slamming the over on this. Slam in the over. Do- I think Andy Dalton will probably have about three picks by the end of the first half. <laughs> oh, man. You think they might bring Fields in before the end <laughs> yes, of the game? Yes, I think Fields will play before the end of the game, but we'll see. Okay. And your last fantasy over under for week have one. have a, a Steelers boy making his debut, Najee Harris, at over under 25 points against the Bills defense. It's a tough one. Bills defenses have a good defense there, so. Yeah, I'm going to say under. I, I, again, hope he does really well. Uh, obviously, most of us, including myself, are Steelers fans in this league, so I would love if Najee Harris lights it up from the very jump. Uh, but 25 is a pretty high mark, and the Bills' defense is, is not bad, so I'm going yes. to pick the under here. I agree, and I'm actually going to take the over on this one. Okay. He's, I think he's going to come out and try to prove himself. Um, Triple overs for you, and they're pretty yes, high marks. They're high marks. Yeah. So. I did horrible in this segment last year, so I might as well just start it on a high note and see where it goes. There you go. Yep. And for our news and notes section, the last uh, segment of this week's episode, let's uh, talk about a trio of players 
So first being after he was cut by the Denver Broncos, the Baltimore Ravens put in a claim, but failed to get Royce Freeman. So I actually included this note before Justice Hill tore his ACL. So obviously they're a little bit in flux to find a running back now, but does this indicate to you that the Ravens may not be content with what they had and that there actually isn't a clear cut workhorse running back as the fantasy community anticipated for the Baltimore Ravens? Yeah, I think it's, again, it's a little easier to say right now with the whole Justice Hill situation and, and, and what's going on. I think before that, Gus Edwards is, is a big question mark for them. They don't know what kind of production they're going to get out of him, especially with J.K. Dobbins being out. So in terms of workhorse, no. I, I don't think there's a clear workhorse for them. Um, I think after week four or five, I think, they're, I think there might be an answer to that question just because – if they can find a running back that's going to be pretty consistent for them, that rush offense is going to be insane, um, not only from Lamar Jackson, but, again, a running back. So I think we'll see. We'll see. Uh, second player, this is a guy that you've already talked about, but let's quickly revisit. According to NFL reporter Jeremy Fowler, there is a, quote, strong chance that Saquon Barkley suits up for week one. Eddie, as a Giants fan, are you expecting them to take it slow with Saquon for more than one game? Or do you think that they'll probably limit him in week one before unleashing him to a full workload rest of season? Yeah, I think they're going to – they better, I guess, I guess at least say this, they better limit him coming into week one. Um, he hasn't had contact since last year. He just got cleared for full pads this week. So I just can't see them putting him out there for 20 rushes. I think he'll touch the ball maybe anywhere from eight to 10 times um, at the max. Um, and then I think it'll gradually increase. I think he'll get probably two or three touches more a week until he kind of gets to that 16, 17 touch marker around week three or four. And finally, we have a guy that we actually haven't talked about all episode yet. Uh, Zach Wilson, the rookie quarterback for the New York Jets. Game commentary wizard Tony Romo is apparently very high on Jets rookie quarterback Zach Wilson and was quoted this week as saying, quote, it is rare for me to say someone has the ability to get in the stratosphere of Patrick Mahomes, but I think this kid actually has that ability. So when you have a quarterback like that, I think there's no telling how good he can be. Uh, he can make up for a lot of weaknesses in a lot of areas for a football team, end quote. Since this seemingly came out of nowhere, Eddie, I want to know what chances you give Zach Wilson at becoming a top five quarterback in the NFL, not necessarily this season, but just period. It's a tough one for me. I, I think if I compare the rookie quarterbacks that he came in with, I think he probably has this probably the second to third best chance to become a top five quarterback out of all of them there. Uh, the biggest thing for me is just the offense he has around him is I think what's hindering him the most to actually be able to achieve that goal. Uh, you compare him to Patrick Mahomes. Yes, Mahomes is an amazing talent, but the offense around him is just as amazing. So I think it makes it a little easier for him to hop up there. So I don't really know. I, I'd probably give it like a, if I had to give it, give it a chance or a number. I'd, I'd probably give it anywhere from about a 30 to 40% chance that he he's sitting up there within the next couple of years. I think that's pretty high, actually. So yeah. <clears throat> I think that's uh, telling of, of the way that you view Zach Wilson's upside. Yeah. So I guess to put it into a little bit more context, 
how about to become the best quarterback in his draft class? And the main QBs that were taken alongside him were Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones. How, what chances do you give to Zach Wilson at becoming the best among these guys in the NFL? Yeah, like I mentioned, I think two or three. I think, uh, I think Lawrence probably has the most pressure, but I think in terms of talent and resume coming out of college, I think he's easily number one for me. Um, and then after that, it's a little bit of a toss up did have fields for a while, but I also think Mac Jones with the system that he's in and the Patriots fully believing in him cutting, um, Cam Newton and, and pulling him into QB one. I think that shows how much Bill Belichick actually believes in him as a quarterback. So mm-hmm. I think I have Mac Jones at two and then Zach Wilson, Trey Lance around that, around that, around that field. So I'd say two or three out of there. Yeah, I think I would go Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, and Mac Jones are kind of a toss-up for me. Mm -hmm. So I'd put them either fourth or fifth uh, in terms of long-term outlook on them for me personally. Uh, That was a pretty long episode, Eddie, our draft breakdown. I don't have anything to share before before we go out until next week. Do you have anything to share with the league? I do not. I just want to say great job, everyone, with the draft this year. I think uh, we definitely got some content for this week just because things were a little more uh, a little more surprising than we had imagined. I think mm-hmm. Nate and I were sitting there on the couch just kind of looking our chops at some of the content that we'll be able to that we were able to put out this week just because of how things went. Um, I do not Absolutely. have anything additional to to add. Again, thank you all for coming to episode number two of the Best Player Wins podcast, and we will catch you guys next week. Good luck, everyone, on your matchups. Eeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeee